0: Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging.
1: Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. I'm Jim Hemphill. Today I'll be talking with John R. Leonetti, ASC, about his work on the hit film The Conjuring. One of the big critical and commercial successes of the summer, The Conjuring tells the true story of a family that discovers their new rural home is haunted. They bring in paranormal investigators, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who find themselves in the middle of the most challenging and horrifying case of their lives as they battle the forces that have taken over the infested house. The film reunites John Leonetti with director James Wan. Together, the two of them were also responsible for Dead Silence, Death Sentence, and another acclaimed ghost story, Insidious. In fact, by the time you're listening to this podcast, they'll have yet another horror collaboration, Insidious Chapter Two, on its way to theaters. John Leonetti has been working with cameras and lights since he was a teenager, and as an operator and assistant worked under legends like Vittorio Storaro, Francis Ford Coppola, and Walter Hill. It was Hill who gave Leonetti his big break as director of photography on the HBO series Tales from the Crypt. Since that debut in 1989, Leonetti has proved himself adept at not only horror, but action, comedy, and drama, and he's an accomplished director as well. His work on The Conjuring straddles the line between tradition and innovation, finding new ways to tell an old-fashioned haunted house story, and I'm excited to have him here to talk about it. Um, I want to start by asking you about point of view, because one of the things that's interesting about this film is that it's a horror movie with a split perspective. You've got the events that are experienced by the family that lives in the house. And then there's a sort of parallel story of the investigators. Um, Obviously those two storylines end up intersecting, but they also exist somewhat separately. And I'm wondering what your thoughts were visually in terms of differentiating between those two points of view while still making them kind of seem like parts of a
0: coherent whole. Well, actually we didn't really treat uh, our approach to how we shot them respectively. We really just approached the whole period and the story in general and it's interesting because you know you know with the new not even the advent now it's like history old history of a digital you know cinematography to show or to tell uh, a period movie in a sort of visual way that's you know not typical to the way it used to be but still make you feel feel like you're back then with a the digital camera is, you know, is an, an interesting sort of, I don't want to say challenge, opportunity, I guess, you know. James and I both felt from the beginning um, that we wanted to present a crisp image. We wanted the fidelity of, of you know, what now, um, you know, digital imaging has to offer. Um, and use these incredibly actually very sharp but gracefully sharp i call them the new sort of leica lenses we use the alexa uh camera and a lot of it has to do with the lighting and then how we treated the image overall basically we approached both homes the same because in, in effect what happens in the story is even in ed and lorraine's home shit hits the fan as well so it was more about being true and realistic to the period and so that the audience really felt like they were there. Yeah, well one of the things I liked about the movie
1: is that you didn't go the kind of expected route, which is sometimes if people are trying to do like the early 70s, they'll go more grainy or you know whatever and you, you didn't really do that. So I was wondering if you could go into a little bit more detail about what specifically your philosophy was
0: about uh, you know how you wanted to to achieve that to make it as real realistic as possible and you know we did that through the locations the production design the wardrobe uh even sticking to basically to practical lighting now we had little tricks that we used that would augment the practical lighting but not a lot and We even built turn of the century farmhouse on stage that matched basically the exterior of the location that we picked in where we shot this in Wilmington, North Carolina on the Black River. And, you know, for example, Julie, our production designer, went to great pains and extents to to make it feel like it really was that old. And, And even with the. Um, with the the plaster, the lapidum plaster that we use, the, and the textures in the plaster, and then the the layers of of coats of paint that would have been there for you know for years, now you combine that with literally practical lights and letting the actors walk through, in and around them, it, it it's a very it's very it's a very real realistic feel, I guess is the word. Now, in terms of camera or DI manipulation, let's say, basically we just desaturated the color a bit and it and it would vary. And, and as the movie progressed, we got more desaturated and, and cooler. But the key, the true key, is to make it and keep it very realistic. We had two walls that moved in the house. One was just a was a panel in this hallway where we had to get between the walls okay to where Vera comes in when she was you know she found the she finds the noose or whatever in, in the story and then another case where we were able to pull the wall straight up just a section of it because there wasn't even room to it wouldn't have been worth it to like pull it out and we never even used that and then I actually even Only because if you don't, and there's some things you need to do to make sure you cover your photographic ass, basically, which is, um, you know, we had sectional ceiling pieces that we could pull out if we needed to. And the Julie and the construction were so cool to accommodate us. I mean, most people would have been hanging, like, lights down from there. Like, tweenies, babies, you know, whatever. We never pulled one of them the whole show. I mean, we really wanted to stick to you know keeping this very forced to to working in the real environment and sh- the only thing that we did do is we made the rooms a little bit bigger not a lot and we were careful about not going too far because we use a lot of white angle, wide angle lenses as well. And that makes rooms look even bigger. So you have to balance that. So generally, that was our whole approach, whether we were, you know, well, the other house actually, uh, End in the Rains, was a practical location. So, you know. Was there ever any
1: talk about going the more conventional route of having, you know, because a lot of ghost stories, people tend to go for more kind of stylized or Baroque lighting and camera movements and everything. And I mean, was that something you guys ever considered or right from the beginning, was it always, no, we're going to go with this kind of realistic look?
0: No, I'll tell you. Um, We wanted to make it real. The more realistic it is, the more believable it is because people actually believe that there are ghosts, you know, as opposed to, let's say, vampires, for example. Vampires are sexy, but, but they're not real. At least I haven't ever really hadn't known anybody that's really ever encountered one. I have met people that surely believe they've encountered ghosts. Well,
1: that that and that speaks to something else, you know, that's interesting about the movie, which is it is based on a true story. And I'm wondering if, did you have, I'm wondering how that played into any of your uh, preparation or, or anything, I mean, were, were, did you have access to any materials
0: that were related to like the real life case? Yeah, um, we did, We well, we had, you know, there's, there's a lot of evidence and and I mean uh, literature and graphic pictures of, of you know what happened in that house, uh, in Connecticut. We shot this in Wilmington, as I said, North in North Carolina. But, um, yeah, I mean, we had a lot of reference material and the and the um the room in the in their basement in the, the rain in the Warren's basement that had all the, all the things they collected over the years. Um, we you know. We used that as a very strong guide to create our own, you know, which we which we did in the practical location. Um, it, we found a house that actually had the right situation for it. it. Was amazing, and we tried to be very true to the whole thing. I mean, it's interesting. The family, the real family that lived in that house, okay, now they're like my age and a little older actually, came to visit us on the set, and then this shit really happened to them. I mean, they believe it, you know, because they feel it really happened, and. And even uh, Lorraine, bless her, um, the real Lorraine Warren, who's now, I want to say, late 80s ish, she came and visited. It, it, it's definitely, you know, us uh, simulating, affecting visually, and telling the story that is
1: real. Mm-hmm. Well, and another thing that I think adds to the reality of the movie is you do a really nice job of acclimating the audience to the kind of geography of the house uh, right from the beginning of the movie so that when the action kicks in, uh, you always know where you are and where people are in relation to each other. And, and one of the ways that you do that is through uh, a, a shot early on in the film where you kind of follow the, the family first moves in and the camera follows them from outside and it goes inside the house and you go around a number of different rooms and then out the back. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about this kind of how you can, conceived and then executed that shot.
0: You you know you hit it the nail right on the head. We wanted to show the audience and introduce that house as almost like a character. Another it really was another character in the and to show its lifeblood, if you will, of the of the house. Um, it's interesting if you really if you look at you know the movie opens with a what we prelude or whatever you want to call it. It's in another situation. It's one of the other worn cases and and then when we actually get to the house that really the story is about, it's really interesting, James. You know, take my hat off to him again. Had this awesome idea. If it really starts, the opening shot is inside the living room, which we actually used in the real location because we could shoot directly out the windows. And as the family pulls up, you know, we we uh, kind of push in using the zoom actually, because we, by the way, because in the 70s they used the zoom, we we, we did that as well. And it, it's subtle. It's not like we're just, you know, zooming for zooming sake or even 70s fast zooms, but it, there's a there's a psychological sort of tie-in to the 70s, you know, photographically, if you will. But anyway, we, we kind of push in and slide over. And, and as the family's getting out of the car, we go from one window to the next, and then we ended up in the entryway and the whole family comes in and it's all one shot. And this this dog, their dog, we just won't come in the damn house. And and that and and usually someone would establish a house from the exterior. I mean, typically that's how you establish a location. Well, James immediately came up with this awesome idea to say, okay, this you know again, this is a character, and let's do it this way. It's also it's creepier or it's more unsettling. Let me put it that way. Even though the the color right at that point although it's slightly you know we've slightly desaturated that just to put us into that 70s feel it's warmer than the rest of the movie it's got a good feeling the family's happy except for the dog um and then we cut around to the shot you're talking about okay there's a slight little time transition and we you know we did a, one of those standard um you know get the crane the steady cam, walk off dealios and follow these guys pulling them you know um Couch out of the back of a a moving truck and and as we pan over we see one of the little girls And she's got something that she's taking into the house And we follow her and we follow her up the stairs and they lift the couch up for her to go under So the camera goes under and then then we you know We go into the entryway and we see everybody kind of doing their stuff and then we go around to the living room and into this sort of uh, office area that's adjacent to the living room and then we go into the kitchen like you said and and then uh, we follow, which a different little girl actually, with a wind chime, and then she goes ultimately out on the back porch and, and hangs it. Now, the interesting thing about this shot is, um, we combined the real location with our stage interior, and we did it with two green screens in the doorways. Okay, and I mean it's seamless. I from whatever I mean, you can, I don't, can't even really tell, and I we shot it you know that's what's so cool about it because it really seems like one shot which it is but it was there's a how can i say this not it doesn't just set up the the house in the story it actually sets up the approach to the whole film cinemagraphically actually and how we tied the exterior with the interior and you know for me it is so cool because on one hand we started with a an empty stage floor where we built the 6,000 square foot during the century farmhouse. Went and found this awesome location on the Black River. I got to shoot with the, you know, Julie, brought the backing guy down and his local local North Carolina backing company that, that did this. And we got to shoot, you know, basically 360, almost 360 degrees of the house. I got we got to pick the shots. We got to, I got to color the backing exactly the way I wanted. And I did my own tests for that. Uh, by literally going to the real house, I took a practical lamp. I went in that same living room and I just took my one of my digital cameras, nothing fancy at all. And just look at the color balance. If when I shot with the two, okay, and analyze because if you really think about it, I mean, cinema cinematographers, of course, know this that you know day exteriors is is cooler light, and you know an incandescent light is much warmer, and and in real life, the balance if you have a light on in the daytime. Um, it, it, there's going to be that play back and forth. And it actually, it's interesting. That's even true with moonlight. Um, even Except for, you know, when the moon is really low, then it's really warm. But it, it's really the sun reflecting off the moon and it's it's a cool color temperature anyway. But the point is that that little test set up what was really real and I just followed that through to the stage, basically, okay? And it's really cool because I actually tinted the the backing to about thirty nine hundred, around between there and about forty one hundred Kelvin, basically, and and the 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 practicals, and especially when you know it, the the thing we did have every practical was on a dimmer, every light switch was on a dimmer, and we could control that. And you know, oftentimes we dim the lights, you know, enough, not too much, so they get too warm. But but you know, knowing that they're around not even thirty two hundred, they're like twenty seven hundred Kelvin, and the difference between like forty. 4027 is enough that really actually you know when you use the Alexa it shows something that's totally real. And even and at night we use same backing we just turned all the backing lights off and we just shoot a light into the ceiling of the stage and just let a little bit of it kiss and reflect off so you can get a little see a little bit of the skylight that was naturally there in the backing. It was slightly overcast, there was sun but it was awesome because there was just a little bit of haze, which is perfect for give aerial perspective for a backing outside. We not have to use nets. It was just so awesome. Honestly, um, in that one shot, it literally set up the framework for the photography of the whole movie.
1: Before we sat down to talk here, you, you were talking about you know, how patient this movie is and how that's something that I think... People are really responding to because you do get sucked into this family's life before it becomes a supernatural movie. I mean, it just, you just kind of, you know, feel how they relate to each other and all that stuff. But then once you do, um, you know, ring in the ghosts and all that kind of stuff, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what your and James's approach was in terms of how you kind of put the audience in the position that they're in, which is, um, again, you've got multiple characters who these things are happening to but the audience is always very sort of specifically linked i think to different characters point of view i mean points of view i mean part of the reason the movie is so scary is you're you're really experiencing this right along with the people and i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about if that was you know intentional and how you kind of uh, what your game plan was for that
0: you know the scarier moments in a movie oftentimes except for other sudden scares that's a different thing is when, you know, someone's wandering around a scary place or you think it's something's going to happen, you take the audience with them. And but you don't take them with them, you become them as well. There's it's it's a it's a sort of a, a formula maybe, which is to push behind them, to lead them and to do their point of view. Now, do you do it steady cam, handheld or on the dolly? So those are all your options, okay? And 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 do you do it with a wide lens close or do you get back with a little longer lens? Okay, so there's those are different, you know, tools, brushes in the palette, you know, brushes that you can use on the palette, you know what I mean? So it's it it, it was very designed, and it, and it, the one thing I had to make sure, which I love doing, is that we could wander that whole house as as long as we want, and and never, you know, and shoot any direction anytime. And, and again, there's that practical lighting thing that works great. But yes, it would be, we would have discussion. What are we doing? Are we gonna do this handheld? Should this be very steady? Should this be very calm? Should it be, you know, slight, you know, hand, you know, whatever. And it was a very, very design using those variables, if you will. And it's interesting because if there's times in the movie where we would choose the dolly and go down a hallway and turn like there's a shot where we turn into the little girl's room basically it's it was on the we use the dolly and it's very smooth and you don't so you don't at this point you don't know if it's third person camera for at one moment you don't know if it's subjective, you you don't you don't really know it's just kind of a cool creepy kind of shot we move down the hallway pan around we see this little girl sitting there and then all of a sudden though Lily the mother walks right into her, her own point of view, now oftentimes, you would do a point of view like that handheld to be true okay but because it's so solid and so smooth it's a different feeling and it's almost like what are we really what story what part, what story are we really telling right now and what it does is by going back and forth between those those techniques puts the audience on, on a little bit on edge um in, because it, it, by manipulating those techniques you can Manipulate the audience. It's not like when I say it's so designed. We talked about what we were going to do every single time. Now, sometimes it was feel though. It wasn't like we had figured that out beforehand. It's like when you see a, a scene rehearsed, you get a feel for the way it, it should be, and 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 what the actors are going to do to know whether you know which which sort of mode you should be in. Okay, so it's it's a it's a combination of that, and it's a combination of knowing also what is scary. And then you mentioned Patience. Well, so many movies, so many shows. We're so used to things being cut up. Even just standard, even just a standard scene where it's, you know, it's master over, close up, maybe a bit of a master again, or whatever. Just cut, 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 cut. And that's cool. It's it's, it's movie making, it's storytelling, it works, but very different to the way we approach this. And personally, not even for just a thriller or a horror movie i prefer keeping it a little bit more real and not so conventional and not cut not cutting so much and so there's that aspect of it but but really to create tension if you're intercutting these moving camera situations with actors in and amongst them um, and you you just keep going with them you don't worry about having to cut to some you know action-y thing or some, you're just going with them, and you know the audience knows something's going to happen. They just don't know when, and then it's a matter of slipping and sliding those moments, whether being patient or and actually, kind of, anticipating that and even surprising them. Okay, and that's kind of the kind of how it works.
1: Yeah. Well, something that struck me when I watched the movie uh, a second time, and was kind of looking at the overall design and everything. You know, I was thinking about the fact that you've got these you know, longer than usual takes in some cases, and, and shots where the design of where the camera is in and, and relation to the actors and all that is so important, and yet you're doing a movie where, on the one hand, you've got these pros like Vera Farmiga and, and people like that in it, but then you're also dealing with like five kids yeah. actors. Yeah. And I mean, was that a challenge to be able to, I mean, to, or to get them to be able to do the things you needed no. them to do technically?
0: No, no, those little girls, bless them, every one of them, every one of them from, Youngest to oldest, they were awesome. I mean, sure. I mean, you know, they're they're kids, so their attention span maybe isn't quite obviously what what the adults are. But no, I got to tell you, it was like we were all a family hanging out together, working on this thing. It it was so pleasant. The the joy that all those girls brought to the set, just the natural joy of being kids, but also being professionals. They were extremely professional. I got to tell you, I mean, technically... Even if we, you know, we we do a shot, we do a rehearsal, or maybe we do a take. We do very few rehearsals. We'd all, we oftentimes we just shoot the first one anyway, because you never know what you get. Because there's, there is something about that. How you know? I have mixed emotions about that, depending on what you're shooting. But in this case, it was really cool. Um, the only thing that's hard, really, is the focus puller. Okay. Now, you know, Scotty Rano, our focus puller. Was super challenged on this movie because of that. And it's not, and it's, it, it's, it maybe it was more so with the girls, especially the little girls sometimes, but, but, um, even the, you know, Vera or even Patrick or Lily or Ron, or whatever, he, meaning, meaning Scott Rano, really was had to be on it. And there's times because you're moving all over the place, you can't be next to the camera, you can't be anywhere near it. And, you know, I come from, you know, film years ago, I've embraced the digital world. I love it, I love them both, okay? You know, pulling focus off a monitor as opposed to being next to the camera or, you know, within reach of a steady cam. The whole focus thing has changed. And one thing that I admire about Scotty is that he would stick to old school because if you're pulling focus off a monitor, if you lose it, you're off. And you're, you see searching, you see it in television a lot now, you know, that you have to, you know, if, as opposed to being there, if you lose it, You're you're watching the person move, and it's a different kind of reaction time. And I know this is kind of any focus puller knows all this, okay. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pull off a a monitor sometimes because sometimes it's all you can do. And and Scotty used all the techniques, okay. And he'd be in one shot, he may be pulling, you know, old school, you know, by eye, using his, you know, his his zen, you know, your zen distance calculations, or you know, and then switch over to a monitor behind a wall if you know if you couldn't see or something. I mean, it was awesome, but. But the but camera wise, operating wise, it was pretty easy to adjust. And you know, um, Chief Mark Myers was like, "No worries." I mean, he's a very good operator. Uh, whether it's handheld, dolly, Steadicam, you can do all of it. And um, we um, we didn't have to worry so much about them, which was really kind of neat. They were professionals. Well, something that
1: struck me that as another sort of potential challenge for you, and more specifically, even your operator, is you know you've got the big. The, the long takes, they go through the whole house and all that. Then you've also got a number of scenes in this movie that are unbelievably cramped, where people are like under floorboards and inside walls. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you, you know, staged and executed some of those shots.
0: Well, the, um, what did we call it? The, uh, it was a crawl space. I guess right. we call it the crawl space. That's the crawl space. Anyway, um, that was f- f- brutally challenging because it was real. It's not like we pulled any walls and, and, and you know to move the camera in there. I mean literally the brothers like had to crouch and, and and you know just pull it along and we used sliders and we did different things like that. but you know even forget just climbing under there to light or to you know to, oh my God, how many times did you bump your head you know um, yeah, it was gnarly but it was real and and again, it's it's forcing yourself into that situation. Um, that makes it really cool. We, you know, we also had the outside of the set that we built. You know, Julie gave us, um, you know, little sections of wall that we could pull and shoot back with longer lenses, which we've done before. Matter of fact, um, I want to say we did that in dead silence, where we did more of it back on dollies with longer lenses outside, which is really creepy too. Because you know you can selective focus and, and but but we totally chose to like put the cameras in there and use our famous ten millimeter lens. James and I love the ten millimeter lens. Okay, but you only use it when you're supposed to use it. But we use it more often than most people uh, even know. And it's unbelievably cool when you move that kind of a lens, that wide of a lens, in a in a place that is confined. It's the parallax the 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 visceral feeling i guess you could say of it is pretty pretty wicked uh, but yeah it, it you know yeah it was hard but you know worth it thank god it wasn't too many days in the schedule you know the rest the rest of the house like i said we you know we built the hallways a little wider we built the, you know the rooms a little bigger so we could you know do that mm-hmm. well along the lines of lenses i wanted to ask you about a specific
1: shot in the movie There's a scene that's something we've seen in other horror movies like Poltergeist and a lot of other haunted house movies where one of the little girls looks under the bed to see if there's something there. And there's a POV shot of underneath the bed and the camera's kind of moving from side to side and you don't know if something's going to pop up under there or not. And there's something about this shot that is, even even though I've seen it a million times in other movies, it's so creepy here. It's like the creepiest I've ever seen that shot. And I was wondering... What lens you guys used what what there was about it that you guys did that gave it that really unsettling feeling it had?
0: Well, if I recall it wasn't the ten because it made everything too far away. It was a wide lens. it was I want to say it was want to say it was an eighteen. It wasn't even a fourteen. it may have been the fourteen. it was one of those, but the ten did push things too far away because you needed to see what was to come and you know what that door down there by right. because that you know when, when we popped up and we're over his shoulder, we're looking at that door, and there's that just blackness that we so painstakingly made sure the hue was right between Julie and James and I. And anyway. Um it, it was see again, you could use a longer lens, okay? But but also and you and, and you can have selective focus and all, but that's not um That's not what we chose. The the bottom line is with a wide lens, the audience has to scan the frame, and by scanning the frame, it's like you're not going to know what's going to. It's it's they're more vulnerable. Maybe is maybe a way to put it, and and also of course when you're down in a space, when we did raise the bed up, you know I want to say we raised the bed up maybe three inches higher than it really was underneath. I'm gonna say maybe cup blocks. Or pancakes in uh, in quarters or something like that. You know the apple boxes we use, um, something like that. Um, using cut blocks that like that. But anyway, um, but you need a wide angle lens to like be able to see, especially in that wide format, top to bottom. Uh, we hadn't have enough room that we could, you know, it was high enough so that you could, you know, also you could see enough into the room. But it, it, it's just those factors. And then you know, James, of course, from the listen, he literally. Came up with the idea. He said, "John, wouldn't it be kind of cool to look upside down and then flip over?" You know, we did this way. The, I mean, we first started prepping before we even built the house, so I knew we wanted to do it. I made sure that we I figured out what crane we could use. With I think we needed eleven feet to have a you know four foot arm, whatever the hell it was, to fit it in that room. Because again, we're not pulling walls. It was very designed uh, from from the beginning. Even though it's kind of though, I, I think we even I think we think we. For fun, we put the tent on just to look at it because it's so fun, but we we went a little bit longer if that you know answers the question.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. You also had to create a, a sort of separate look from what we're talking about for a film within the film. There's some sort of, I, I guess it was almost supposed to be like Super 8 footage or something of uh, another... This exorcism or something that the the Warrens were on, and I was wondering what you what format you shot that on, and what you were going for in terms of the the look of
0: that stuff. Okay, now there's two different instances of that in the movie. There one is the 16 millimeter footage that we used that the, that like when when Patrick Wilson went down in the basement, you know, when the when they were they thought they were finding something in the house, that was 16, okay. and and it was 16 millimeter footage that we used in the opening of the movie when we finally were in in that prologue, and then. Um, and then we you know you realize you're on okay you're on a, a screen then there was another time where they were doing that exorcism of that dude and that was simulated more like eight millimeter but in both cases we used the Alexa oh. and because you know here you go again I mean it's like embracing digital world and technology there's plugins for that I mean it's just software and plugins that you can dial the grain you can dial the the scratch they could you know and it's just stuff that is so easy to do you just have more control not to say that we couldn't have shot with 16 but honestly it's just simpler and easier to do and i've done a bit of that in a, over the years and a couple of things i've shot in between the river or whatever that you know i come to learn that there's times when it's just simpler so that's what we did and and so they were both created in post starting with a very you know incredible you know or high fidelity image from the Alexa. Um, as an aside, um, I'm involved in something else right now, and it, it's interesting because it's a it's kind of a new television series um, that I'm maybe involved in. That um, is a it's a uh, it's a paranormal found footage kind of show, and th- the the main part of the show is this guy who shoots sixteen millimeter, and, and he, he's created this whole documentary. And at first I, I went to say, you know what, should shoot with the Alexa or whatever digital camera you choose to use and use the plugins. And then it made, I real I thought about it for a while and there's certain story things where he actually sees himself in a mirror and you'd see the camera while it's shooting. And then you'd have to replace him in the mirror. And anyway, th- that's a, there, there's an instance, instance where as well, you'd start with some cool grain, maybe push it to stop and create more grain or whatever. And then, and then augment it more, then we could still augment it more, of course, in post as well. But James and I have found that, honestly, um, shooting with the best quality possible to start, you can degrade it as much as you want. It can't go backwards. Um, well, before we wrap things up,
1: I wanted to ask about something I read that I don't know if it's true or not. But the, with,
0: you guys shot this movie in continuity. Is that true? Not literally because there was times because of schedule actors or locations or this or that where we'd have to we'd have to come out of the house and come back in, you know, and we did that. Um, it's not literally, but as much as we can. And Albert Cho, our AD, very smart guy, um, knows that for James and even for the actors, it really does help to shoot in continuity because... You don't even really know, and especially in a horror film, how heightened the emotions ultimately get until you're there. And it's really for a performance and directorial thing. It really is. And, and it's advantageous, man. It's, it, it really helps. And it proved itself in The Conjuring because the escalation of suspense, and the modulation, maybe is even a better word, of suspense, ultimately it came out better you know or the, the end result of, of the suspense came out better because we did it that way and you know what it wasn't like not cost effective or anything I mean when we're always aware of that stuff I mean we're you I mean we did the insidious for you know a million bucks you know and and shot it in the first version of it in like 22 days you know so it's not that we don't know how to be really efficient we do but you know you have to, you have to what's most important? That's something that in, in our in our business, I think it is a business, but you have to be really careful about where you draw the line with budget in quotes I'm saying, maybe by shooting in continuity, there, there's a few extra costs. But if you if you add in the, the, the result of the attention and emotion that that helped with in the movie, That's why it's critically acclaimed and economically acclaimed, and I think that had something to do with it.
1: I think that's a great point and a good point for us to end on. So thanks for sitting and talking with me about it. This has been Jim Hemphill and John Leonetti talking about The Conjuring for the American Cinematographer Podcast. This
0: has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content by logging onto theasc.com. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography.